28. Can we turn there, if you would, please? We've read a little bit about that. Just a reminder, as we're concluding the book of Acts, we will not conclude tonight, but probably next Sunday morning or the Sunday after that. But I've enjoyed going to the book of Acts. It's a narrative telling us a little bit about what God did after Jesus went back to heaven through the life of his believers. It's an active book. It's one that has, has a lot of movement. It's a good name for it, Acts. It's not really the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of surrendered and spirit-filled saints. You know, by the way, that's uh, 2,000 years ago almost, but all of us can be surrendered and spirit-filled. We ought to just ask the Lord right now, God, help me to be surrendered and spirit-filled. Would you say that with me? Lord, help me to be and? Boy, we want that. Wouldn't everything change if we were really surrendered and spirit-filled servants of Christ? We can do better things by accident with the Holy Spirit's help than we can on purpose trying to do the things that are right. And uh, we need to look to a shortcut to having an effective Christian life is letting Christ live through you. Now, you like that verse right there, I am crucified with, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've quoted that verse many times. I even know a couple songs to that verse. However, I, I, it was just a few years ago I realized at the end of that verse that who loved me and gave himself for me. Someone said this, no one will ever live for Christ effectively and loyally for Christ for a lifetime if they're not totally convinced that they're loved by God, that he loves me. People who have a low opinion of God's love usually have a low life they live. They don't want to dress right. They don't want to go to the right places. They, it's easy for them to be worldly because they have a low opinion of God's, of God's love for them. And friend, you need to believe what God says about his love, not what you feel, what society tells you, or trying to analyze something based upon what's happened to you. Sometimes you have a bad thing happen to you, and the devil will say, if God loved you, that wouldn't happen to you. If God loved you, he wouldn't have taken away your husband, your wife, your child, your mom, your dad. If you're really loved by God, let me tell you something, that did not come from the Lord. That is as old as Adam and Eve and Satan in the garden. To make you think that God is not good, he's not right, he messed up, and he doesn't really care about you. But I'm telling you, one thing that we need to learn about our God is that he is good, he's gracious, he's always right, he's always good. I don't have to understand him. Isaiah chapter 55, the Bible says, his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts than our thoughts. He, he sees life much different than we do. And boy, wise is the person who will say, I'm going to let the God make decisions. And I'm going to love him. And I'm going to know he loves me. And don't doubt in the night what God showed you in the light. Be faithful to him. Well, the book of Acts, you can see that it is Jesus goes up. God's spirit comes down. His people get filled with the spirit and they go out. And people get saved. Hundreds and thousands of people come to know Christ. A lot of things happen in the book of Acts, and I won't, I won't bore you with going through the entire book, though there's just lots of strategic things that take place from the conversion of the Apostle Paul to him kind of falling off the pages of our Bible for several chapters while he is being reprogrammed by Jesus in Arabia and then in Damascus and Jerusalem for a short time and then spending time in Tarsha. 
Tarshish, that's, that's kind of arrested my thought a lot in studying, is that sometimes we, God's not in a hurry. You, know, you would think that as soon as he got saved, boom, he's out there preaching. He's not. He's trying to be faithful. He is being used of God to some way, but he will be set aside in kind of a quietness and obscurity for seven to ten years before he shows up in, in, in Antioch, before he goes off to be a missionary. And I don't want to say if, if, if God's called you something, you ought to do it. But sometimes God uses discretion, discernment, and delay in working in our life. I don't like the last one. I don't like having to wait. I mean, I want, I want instant everything, if I can hurry up. I want it to happen quick. And I, I'm that way, and boy, these four folks that work with me, sometimes I get something in my mind, I want to say, can we get that done today? <laughs> you know, I'll give them something. I, 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 I think there's a missionary that needs some funds, and I'll uh, let someone know about that, or we can, we can help with something. I want to do that right now. Can we get that checked today? Can we move that out right? I want to do it quick. But you know, sometimes God doesn't do things on our timetable. I learned that from the book of Esther. Remember Esther? Whenever she said, if I perish, I perish. What did she do? She she, she went to the king. He extended the scepter. She touched the scepter. He said, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom. He said, I want you and Haman to come to my house for a meal. We're going to have a banquet together. Said, okay, I'll go. And they went, and he pressed her. What do, you, what do you want? What's your question? What's your answer? Just tell me what you want. I'm ready to give it to you. And she, if I were her, I would have just spilled the beans right there. I would have said, here's what I need. She didn't. Discernment and delay allowed her to say, how about this? Come back again tomorrow. We'll have meal number two, and then I'll tell you. And in between meal number one and meal number two, uh, that's, when the, that's when the king couldn't sleep. And that's when they read the chronicles of the king, and he realized that Mordecai had done something very good to save his life by reporting about Big Than and Teresh and their, their plot to kill the king. And he said, well, hey, Boy, that guy saved my life. What do we do for him? Do we give him a day off? Do we give him a bonus? What do we do for him? He said, you did nothing for him. He said, that's not right. We got to do something for him. And of course, that's where the pages turn the book of Esther because of a delayed response. And sometimes God wants us to wait. I think if someone said a hundred times in the Bible, I didn't count them, but someone's a hundred times in the Bible, you find the words wait on the Lord. Um, be, 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 wait on him. Let, him. let him work some things out. Let him do his work. By the way, if you ever feel pressured by people, salesmen, someone says, you got to do it. If you can't do it now, it's not going to be here tomorrow. You probably ought to say, no, I'm not doing it now. <laughs> if you have to know now, probably not. Unless the Spirit of God is telling you otherwise. Because God oftentimes, he leads us into paths of righteousness. The devil's a driver. The Lord Jesus leads us. He'll lovingly lead us. He'll help you. Sometimes he'll help you be willing to go, but I think he works in our heart. And I think there's some things we can learn from that. And God is really busy in the book of Acts, and he is showing a lot of things have come up. Leadership surfaces, and they, need, they have a problem, and the answer comes in seven deacons. But then right away, two of them get killed. Or two of them, sorry, one of them gets killed. Uh, Stephen gets killed. And the other one moves into the hood of Samaria. And God makes a soul-winning uh, opportunity, and a revival takes place there. And then he sends him from that big revival with that fruitful place out in the middle of the desert to reach one African man going back to Ethiopia. 
with a Bible in his hand and an emptiness in his heart. He said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? No, I don't understand the Bible. That's why they're soul winners. That's why God moves heaven and earth to get you to sit and talk to somebody. And open your Bible and say, and I think most of you can do this, but boy, you ought to be so sensitive to say, God, give me a chance to talk to someone about Jesus. I'm confident that God will open that. He'll answer that prayer. In a world of so many people, you need to pray. Say, God, give me a chance. And be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Philip had to answer the Holy Spirit both times. He said, leave this revival. And he left. Go out to the desert. He's thinking, wonder what's out in the desert. And he sees a little motorcade running across the back, a little uh, chariot, and a guy sitting there reading a scroll, and horses and, and guards on both sides. He's a wealthy man. And, and tells him, now go and join yourself to that chariot. I'm so glad he's responsive to the Holy Spirit of God. I wonder how many things would have been done better if I would have listened to God when he told me, talk to that person, witness that person, sit there, be responsive. The Spirit of God is working, and I'm so glad for that. Then, of course, Peter learned some things in Acts chapter 10 about the Gentile nation, that you shouldn't be prejudiced. You shouldn't be biased, and God wants everybody to get the gospel of Christ. Don't just find someone just like you. Witness to everybody and realize that God loves the whole world, including people not like me and not like you. And, of course, Acts 13, the, uh, Acts, uh, the, the, uh, the church at Antioch sends out Paul and Barnabas, and they go on three missionary journeys. Paul will go three, and Barnabas would go on the first one, then he would get in an argument with Apostle Paul, and they would go one way, he'd go another way. Silas went the second missionary journey. The first one, not as many, 1,400 miles. The second one, 2,800 miles. And the one, just over 2,000 miles all the way through these places. And he finds himself back in Jerusalem, then gets arrested. Gives him two years in a prison, in a palace prison. Not a bad place to be if you're going to be in prison in Caesarea. But that's where I think Luke ministered to him. Luke probably got all the information to write the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He's got, uh, got started in that place. And then, of course, uh, now he has been taken by boat. And God records a storm in chapter 27 of Acts. And they go through a terrible storm. We learned about lessons in the storm uh, in previous messages. We're in chapter 28 tonight. The storm is over. And there's 276 people that God spared their life. They end up on a on a, uh, an island of Malta, modern-day Malta. Melita was the name of the island at the time. Let's look at the scriptures and let's walk through a few thoughts if we can. Thank you, church family, for being so patient, being so interested in the things of God. And listen, if you're, if you're I got a, a visitor came the other day and he said he sat behind several people that were on their phone the whole time in church. I don't, I don't understand that for the life of me. And look, if you're going to do that, just step outside and, uh, and stay there for a little bit. But don't, don't sit in church and mess around on your phone. Nothing going on outside here. I don't think it's any more important unless you have some emergency that's come up. We'd understand that. If you slip out, then sit in the back when you come back in. Don't disturb other people. But let's don't, it bothers me when a visitor comes. And says, I just need to let you know, I sat behind five young people, and they were on their phone the whole time. And it just disappointed me. I just didn't expect that. But he said, then I was young one time, and I probably didn't have a cell phone when I was that age, so I may have been goofing around. I kind of saw myself in that. But I hate that, that kind of a testimony for a visitor. And I'd like to, I, I hate that for anybody. 
just put your phone away, get your Bible out, and let's look into what the Scriptures have to say. Let's be interested about that. I, uh, Acts chapter 28, verse number 1. And when they were escaped, they all knew that the island was called Melita. 276 people, many of which were prisoners, sailors, uh, the owner, the, 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 uh, the, the captain of the ship, uh, the centurion, they have all kinds of prison guards, everybody's there, and there's 276 of them, and the Bible says they landed on the island of Melita, modern-day Malta. And the barbarous people, when you see the barbarous people in the Bible, it just means they did not speak Greek. Barbarous were people who did not know the Greek language. The world language at that time was Greek. So most everybody would be like, kind of today, English. People want to know English around the world. It's one of the world's more popular languages there that people want to know. You, some of our, our dear people in our church teach English as a second language on Zoom to folks in other countries of the world. Well, Greek was the world language, but if they didn't know Greek, they would say you're barbarous. That means you're just, you don't speak Greek. So it wasn't like some kind of cannibals on this island or anything of that nature. They just, they didn't speak the Greek language. They spoke probably a Phoenician language of some sort. Look, if you would please, at verse number two. But these barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain, because it was cold. Because of the cold. So this is, it's almost identical to the time that we are right now of our year. It's in October. Uh, the, the fast is over. The Passover is over. They've had 14 days out in a sea in a storm where they haven't seen sun or moon in 14 days. And uh, it's about the end of October, if I understand correctly. So it's kind of like if you and I were, um, we went and watched a soccer game the other night in a rainstorm. And at the end of that thing, I was, uh, I felt like a wet duck. I mean, I wanted to get out of that, out of that place and go find a hot shower and get cleaned off and, and dried out. Well, these folks have been a lot worse than that. They've been in, in the water, washed up on the thing. It's the late October. It's miserable. They're frustrated. But they're all there, and they meet these people that don't speak their language. For the most part, they're barbarous people. Not all of them would be that way, but they would not know. Now, Paul is kind of interesting. Paul was a gifted linguistics. He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. He said, I probably know more languages than anyone that was at the church at Corinth. Because I, 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 he had an ear for it. I think he had an understanding about it. He had been well-versed, well-traveled. But uh, these folks, they showed them a little kindness. They started a fire. And uh, started a fire and started kindling a fire to, to warm up these, these drowned rats here that have washed up onto their shore. And they're, they're beat up, they're miserable, seasick, hot or cold and damp. And so they put a fire together, which was uh, to them very, very encouraging. How many like a good fire? Okay, don't start one on some building or something like that. But I like a good fire in the fireplace. It just kind of calms me down. I like it. And, uh, but they, they started a fire, and it calmed them down a little bit and gave them some warmth. Let's look at verse number 3. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. So here we find Paul uh, is helping to fuel the fire. So he finds some sticks. He's walking around and find the sticks. And you can, you can imagine Apostle Paul is probably in his early 60s at this time. And he has been through the same wreck everybody else. He is a prisoner aboard this ship. 
Maybe the centurion said, all your prisoners go out and find something. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he picked up some sticks, and he came to the fire, and when he put the, the wood on the fire, a snake came either unraveled out of that fire and fastened itself. They say in Malta today there are no snakes whatsoever. But at this time, obviously, these people, they had snakes, and the people saw what kind of snake it was. The Bible says it, it clapped on to his hand. It was just, Obviously, the fangs came out and got onto his hand, and everyone saw it. Let's look at their response. Can we look at that? Verse number 4. And when the barbarians, people who didn't speak Greek, saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to, suffereth not to live. So they had... Come to, so they, they're watching this, they're watching this guy, and they, and they puts the, the wood on there, and the snake jumps out, bites him on the hand, and, um, and they thought immediately, ah, oh, this guy really is a bad boy. Bad boy, bad boy, what you going to do, you know? When they come for you, you know, they're probably like, hey, you're coming, this coming after you. This guy is bad. He's a murderer. He escaped the ship, but... Vengeance, Zeus is going to get him. He's, gonna, he's not going to escape. He's not going to escape the gods. He's going to get it, and uh, we're going to watch him die right here. That's what they thought. Let's look what happened. The Bible says in verse number 5, And he shook off the beast into the fire, and he felt no harm. Howbeit, they uh, looked when he, had, uh, he, he should have swollen or fallen down suddenly. But after he, they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Just with a few thoughts here this evening, and I want to watch your time and, 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 and share a couple things with you. We see a very unusual thing. First of all, we see the treatment that God gave these people. How many of you have ever been in a bad place and someone helped you that you did not expect to help you? Maybe, they, maybe some un, unsuspecting people showed you favor. I think it's a beautiful thought here. It also reminds me, someone said, I've wept in the night for the shortness of sight. To someone's need, I'd been blind. But I never have yet felt a twinge of forget for being a little too kind. It reminds me here the treatment they received. And I think one thing that we need to understand as Christians, we need to learn to treat people graciously, kindly. Especially people that are going through a difficult time. Some people, you don't want to ask them how they're doing. They might just stop and tell you, and it's going to cost you something. How many have been there before? Yeah. But you know, truly, uh, the helping, these people, are, they, they came up upon the shore. They don't know them from Adam, but they, they have some pity on them. I think sometimes uh, there was years ago our former pastor's wife, Mrs. Hiles, would sing, don't let another wounded soldier die. Sometimes Christians are really good at kicking people that are down. Having heard something bad about someone, rather than call them and encourage them and love them and just say, are you okay or can I pray with you? We just, we go, we, we, we just, we just go ghost them. We don't, we don't talk to them. I've been guilty of that before. Learning to treat people. Here we find barbarous people, people who don't even know them. They don't speak their language, but they try to find a way to treat them, right? I think it's a great thought to me. 
Number two, I see a man who is willing to work. I see treatment, but I also see toil. I want to say to you, I feel like God has given us some of the greatest servants of the Lord in the world. And I know I'm biased, but I love you, and I am so proud and so thankful to be a part of First Baptist Church of Hammond. And I'm so thankful for the hard and diligent work. This is a working church. I thought about it today, just leaving here, and I picked up a few pieces of paper that were on the, on the, on the, uh, the carpet. But this afternoon, people, families, hard workers like Brother Jerry Aguilar and his lovely wife and family will come in here, and they'll, men from the mission will vacuum everything once again. Every, every piece of carpet you see gets vacuumed between services. It'll be done tonight and tomorrow and Tuesday for Wednesday night service. I think people who will ride a bus, I was getting to the church this morning, and I saw several buses. That means someone had already picked up the bus at 5 or 30 or 6 o'clock or 6.30 before I got here. And they have buses, and, and it's a cooler day, 37 degrees this morning, getting that done. People went out soul winning and visiting yesterday. Our, our Super Saturday soul winning just filled with people that went out and talked to people about the Lord. I want to say I feel like it's important that God's people work diligently. And I want to thank you for being that kind of a people. I'm amazed. Um, I I, want to say this, Brother Judah is preaching tonight in Columbus, Ohio. But I remember years ago talking to Brother Judah because I knew that God had given him a great gift to preach and felt like he had good gifts of organization. It was about six months from the time I talked to him until I found out Brother Hassey was going to go and pastor a church and so we, I just began to pray and talked a little bit about to Brother Lapina. But one of the things I remember especially uh, talking to Brother, Brother uh, Abdel about, and I don't know if I even should share, share this with you, but I said, Brother Abdel, I said, you, you, you went to school here for a little while, but you've been 12 years in Parkersburg under the ministry of Brother Lamb, and what a man of God he's been. I'm very forever thankful for how he loved Brother Abdel. So if you come here, I'm, I'm, I think it would be great if God wants you to come. One thing you need to know is that our people respect hardworking people. And I've, I've, I've had my fill with people who are talented and gifted, but they will not get in the trenches and work. One of the biggest blessings I think I've seen about Brother Abdel, he is talented, he is gifted, he's an organizer, but that, boot, that dude is a hard worker. And I think we respect him for that, and, and I respect you for hard work. Think of, of all things that Paul could be doing, he could have been, he's probably the older man on that ship, and he's out there working, picking up sticks. And it shows me something just about his character. Young people, don't be lazy. The scourge of the ministry and the scourge of a home is laziness. Wives, don't be lazy. Husbands, don't take shortcuts. Don't look for the easy way out. If there's anything I know about our Bible, the Bible, Jesus said, I work and my father works. All I need to know. He said, he must, I must work the works of him who sent me while his day. The night come when no man can work. You're not going to build anything good for God. You're not going to have a good marriage. You're not going to raise godly children on spare time and pocket change. It's going to be work. You work at your marriage, your marriage will work. You want to stop working your marriage, you'll stop working. You want to stop working with your kids, they're going to stop working. It's a work of progress. It's writing notes. It's loving, it's spending time, it's the midnight oil. In the Sunday school class, you can build a Sunday school class. I wish every one of our teachers would say, Lord, I started this thing with five kids. Please give me ten. 
You know, you, you can pray that prayer, but you better put some feet to your prayer. Say, so, well, I got a bus, and I thank God one of our buses today, um, it, started, it started just recently and got, got some more got some more. They had 28 people on the bus today. And they've had 10 or 11, now they have 28. You know why? There's somebody working. God's working with them. We're laborers together with God. Isn't that interesting? God says labor together with God. It's a work. He says be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work. You can't spell the ministry without W-O-R-K. You can't spell success without it. I think it's interesting in 1 Timothy chapter 6, when the apostle Paul was telling Timothy about keeping your doctrine sound and making prayer a priority, winning, discipling people, be a good testimony, treat people with responsibility and relationships in a right way like God wants you to. 5, 6, he says, now, if you work for a saved, an unsaved man, be sure you work extra hard. So when God visits them, they'll remember you as a godly Christian, and you worked hard. If you work for a, a, a man who's already saved, so an unsaved man, work hard. Because if you don't, the name of God will be blasphemed. He says, now, if you work for a Christian man, and he's saved, and he's, he's the boss man, he said, work that you don't despise him. That you don't despise him because your brother's in the same family. But do him service and do it as unto the Lord. Sometimes when you work for a Christian person, it takes the same grace of God to save them as to save you. Don't let that bother you. If he's the boss, work hard for him as unto the Lord and don't despise him. Don't say ugly things. Don't, don't talk under your breath. Don't say, yeah, I know how he is. No, I know how she is. No, if they're Christians, you do them service as unto the Lord. But it's interesting to me, Apostle Paul is teaching the church how to behave themselves in the house of God. And he starts out, all financial principles start out with diligence. Now think about Paul. Here's an old man just got out of a shipwreck. Probably other people standing around just, just getting themselves warmed by the fire. And these guys are reaching for sticks and doing that. But the sticks and the trial gave him a platform. And I think, too, where there's movement, there'll be friction. You keep moving, and God's going to use you. And I think we find that here. Diligence, treatment, toil. But I want you to look at the trial real quickly. And the Bible says that whenever Paul gathered the sticks, a viper came out of the heat, fastened on his hand, bit him. Now, everybody got to see him in his trial. Now, let me just say to you real quickly, this was a frightening thing. How many love snakes? Oh, you just love them. Bunch of weirdos, I'm telling you. I hate snakes. I don't like them. I like, I like dead snakes. That's what I like. I'm not interested. I mean, my dad was worse than me. I, I mean, I'm not interested. He wants a pet snake. You can have it. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not really interested in that. My dad was terrified of snakes. Oh, he hated snakes. And he lived 57 years, and he never got snake bit. Do you know why? Wherever snakes were, he wasn't. <laughs> One day, I remember when I was a little boy, I was about six years old, and my mother's from West Texas. In West Texas, there's lots of bull snakes and, and, and all kinds. There's lots of snake, king snakes and rattlesnakes and other things there. But she had seen a lot of snakes, but she wasn't nearly as afraid as my dad. My dad was six foot three and 280 pounds, big man. 
And, uh, but one day we're driving in our driveway, and, and uh, all of us are in the back, and my dad saw a snake across our driveway. Our, 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 it was a long drive, so it was not a driveway. It was gravel. And he saw the snake. And that snake was about as dead as any snake ever was. But my dad was terrified it was still alive. And he put it in park, and he went in the back, got the car tool out. And my dad was just hitting that snake and backing up and hitting it hard and backing up. My mother was sitting over here laughing her head off. I got out of the car. I went around there and saw my dad. Hey, get back, son, get back. This is serious here. Whack. And he would back up, you know. I said, Dad, I think he's dead. He ain't dead. I think he's not. I think he's still out there. A little moving there. Get it back. Well, he said, my mother said, Richard, he's dead, you know. I don't know, I'm not sure about that. I want him to get my kids, you know. Boy, he was all over that thing. And he wouldn't even go to the zoo. He didn't care about the reptile. He didn't care about that. He, he had no business going out. give him nightmares or something. He had no interest. And I, just, I remember seeing that situation. But it was a serious thing. And everybody on that island knew it was serious. They were waiting for him to plop over dead. It was a venomous thing. It was something that everybody knew. If you get bit with that, you're done. It's going to start swelling. You're going to start going to your throat. You're just going to fall over dead in the fire. And nothing happened. You know, I find this, that something, whenever you go through a trial, I hate trials. I don't like them. The Bible says, we're counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. I don't like that verse either. Because trials are miserable. I think I'm allergic to pain. (laughs) Anything that's uncomfortable, I want to get out of it quick. But you know, trials have a unique way of platforming you. You know, when I see Brother Andrew and Miss Laura Steers, she's in a fight for her life. She's outlived the doctor's prognosis, but she's not healthy. See, just across the pew here, you see Brother Tom and Miss Petey. It's a very frustrating thing to have to go back on to when you feel good and everything's fine, now you've got to take chemo. Robin Owens and her good husband, Tom, working through that. Henrietta Hall. We've got beautiful shut-ins in our, in our ministry that, that just sit on a bed. And, and uh, just, could you imagine, just you can't get out. Can't go anywhere. And the trials are painful, miserable. Some have trials of rejection, fear, difficulties, finances, finances. When things are not good and you can't seem to fix anything else. By the way, when, when you see a problem in your spouse and you handle it wrong, you become the problem. When you see a problem in somebody else and you don't handle it correctly, you just magnify the problem. But trials are brought to our life. Most of them... They're, some of them are not our fault. Some of them are our fault. They're, they're processes that we have done things. And sometimes they're trials that are brought into our life because of the sin of another. And some of it is everything is father-filtered. And one thing Paul knew is even if that, that snake bit him, he knew he was going to Rome. He already knew he had the protection of God. He knew where he wasn't going to die beside that fire. Because he already had God's plan, he was going to go to Caesar. I don't know if he had that in the back of his mind at that very moment, but he knew that. But trials have a way of platforming you. I uh, I, t- I tell you about this. I don't want to tell you to um, to to get any sympathy, but 
But when our son passed away, it was probably the most pensive, hard-hitting thing that ever happened to me. Without a doubt, it was. And, and I don't know why, because a lot of pastors have lost their children. I'm not the only one. I won't, be the, I won't be the only one. I won't be the last one. Wasn't the first one. You know, God chose to take a little family in Long Beach, California, and he made that a big deal to other people. It was a big deal to us, but God chose to make it. We didn't have our name in the sword of the Lord or revival fires. We're just one little local church slugging it out. I never preached at a conference. I'd never been to any pastor's conference to preach at. I just stayed right there in that little, little town of Long Beach for the most part, taught in a couple Bible colleges. But God chose to make that a big deal. I don't think I would stand here, and, and, and some of you probably wish I wasn't still standing here, but I don't think I'd be able to serve God with you had that not happened to us. And, and I, I don't think we handle it perfectly in our trial, but whatever you're going through, you need to decide, you know what, I am not, I'm going to realize that there's other people watching me in my trial. It's a big deal to other people. And when everything's going good, no one's watching you. When things get going ugly, hard, nasty, challenging, that's when all of a sudden God allows you to be platformed a little bit. And you have a great chance to glorify God. And he did. These barbarous people, they didn't know Jesus Christ's name from any other name. I don't think they had a clue who he was yet. But they did find out who he was. They found out because a guy had a problem. And then God worked a miracle. We also see in a missionary setting and people who are not, they can change their minds. They can be very accusatory quickly and they can change their minds very rapidly. You're a murderer. That guy's going to pop dead. Watch him, watch him. He's going to die. He did bite him. Didn't you see him? Yeah, I saw it. That's crazy. Maybe he's a god. <laughs> In just almost a sentence, he went from being a murderer that escaped the sea and wasn't going to escape this to being a, a, a God they were ready to worship. And then a few days later, they found out about the real God, Jesus Christ. I think when we see this, this thing, I want to just remind you of a couple things. Three things. The treatment, whether you're treated good or not, doesn't really matter. What, what matters is if we treat people correctly. Number two, don't be afraid to toil and work. Be diligent. Number three, um, Embrace your trials. Embrace them and trust God through them. Pray your way through a problem. Trust him. Don't, don't think he's not a good God. He's got a purpose and he'll use even things. God is good. You've heard me say it a thousand times. I hope you can say it with me. God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. He doesn't have to have everything favorable for him to do his work. And he can use your life, your hardship, your difficulties for his glory, unless you and I waste them by complaining and griping and making, focusing on how it affects me and not what God's trying to accomplish in his realm. Let's pray together. Father.